Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very famous Welcome indeed to Podcast Horseman, the Bojack Horseman podcast, a spoiler-free episode-by-episode audio review podcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series Bojack Horseman. I'm a socially distanced Michael Hamflet. And I'm a socially distanced Adam Nicholas, and we are coming to you at a strange... Well, I guess we are, if you've listened to, listening to this on launch day, but who knows, you might be listening to it two years from now. We are coming <laughs> to you from a different time zone to usual, but nevertheless, regardless of whenever this podcast comes out, you can still call us the front of the plane, because we are all business to begin with. You can follow this podcast on Twitter or Instagram, at Podcast Horseman. Please do give us a like, share, follow, whatever you want to do. It's your life, but hey, live it the way I want you to and you'll be happy, <laughs> I promise. Or you can follow either of your hosts on Twitter as well. You can follow me at It's Adam Nicholas or you can follow my lovely co-host Michael Hamflet. At Michael Hamflet. And just for what it's worth, if you are listening to this way in the future, like 2025 or something, will you just tweet us out the blue to let us know that it turned out fine? Because right oh, now... Okay. <laughs> I could do with one of them. Yes, um, you can follow me at Michael Hamflit uh, with all them sort of tweets. If you want to pretend you're from the future, to be honest, that'll do. Um, but also, you can follow along with this podcast on Spotify. You can listen and subscribe along on Apple Podcasts. You can listen pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts, including on Acast, where you can subscribe to the podcast. And normally, this would be where I would tell you that you can get a new podcast every Friday through the at Podcast Horseman Twitter feed on the Acast player. But as Nicholas has alluded to, this one, if you are listening now, is a Thursday. It is a day early for your extra special. But it's just a one week only thing for those of the those of you out there that like your Friday hit. It will be normal service resumed next week on the Acast Player on the usual Twitter as follows. And as always, we will be inducting somebody into our Hollywood Talk of Fame at the end of this episode. For those that are new to this podcast or indeed listening for the first time from 2025, once upon a time in the olden days, we like to have people review podcasts. They leave a bit of feedback. It could be nasty. It could be nice. It could be whatever. But those five-star reviews, before we all just started trading rocks and people's heads for currency, really used to help podcasts appear well in a podcast. <laughs> Get more people listening. Build communities before we could actually have to literally build communities in the ground up when we're all bombed in the third world war so for those of you that are listening present day if you want to leave us that feedback that would be great or for season three only if you retweet the uh, uh podcast horseman tweet that we do every single week with the episode link uh, you will be getting induction this way oh now i've got to the end of that there will be an inductee coming at the end of this episode now are you sure you got everything there are you sure <laughs> i think I've, covered it all. I've got 
so lost in the idea of the brighter tomorrow, the person listening <laughs> in the future, that not for the first time in 2020, I'll just stop living in the now. Somebody thinking, that guy sounds really sad and really old. And that was then. Imagine <laughs> how old you'll be. Imagine how old you'll be like now when they're listening. Right now, 10 years from now, when we originally recorded this, what <laughs> an absolute delight. He's basically dead at this point. Who knows? Anyway, let's move on very swiftly, shall we? Michael, I tell you what, let's try and lighten the load a bit because you can call us the Bay City Rollers as well if you really like. Because in this episode, it's bye-bye, baby, my friend. And with that in mind, let's get to the season three synopsis from Netflix for this episode. It is episode six, Brap, brap, pew, pew. Diane's tweet lands Sextina Aquafina in hot water. Prankster and A-list actor George Clooney's <laughs> under Bojack's skin. Well, Michael, I'm all out of puns. I guess it's over to you, my friend. Okay. Because, <laughs> because the mother f- from the end of the last episode brought us right back to where we are now. It was Diane, of course, receiving the news that she has a baby on the way and giving the only way she knew how to deal with it. Um, completing that swear while the brilliantly her and peanut butter are dealing with the news um, in the car on the way back from the doctor's office. Um, she's very down on the idea of having a baby, um, but Mr. Peanut Butter is kind of refusing to commit one way or the other. He's speaking in sort of nonsensical terms that are broadly supportive Um but refuse to take any decisions for himself or have any meaningful impact on the conversation of which they need to, to come to an agreement on what on earth to do next. They agree to say what to do uh, after a count of one, two, wait, on three or after three? But having got to the bottom of that awkward agreement, uh, <laughs> they say they've got to say the same thing to know if the decision is going to be right. And despite a really good gag about them literally saying different things, Diane just shouts, abortion! <laughs> Mr. Peanut Butter shouts, Get an abortion and him <laughs> sort of catastrophizing the fact they've said different things. I suppose the good news wrapped in the bad is that they've at least come to the conclusion that they want the same thing, as, as difficult as that same thing is about to be. Um, that is the quite brief cold open. So I think what we'll do is we'll go on to where this episode takes us next, because through the cold open and the very first scene of the episode, it kind of establishes the two directions this episode spins off in after the fact. Um, we find uh, Bojack at the Golden Snowflake Awards. It's step one on the 48 award show road to the Oscars, as we're informed by a Ryan Seacrest type who is stationed on the red carpet, exactly where you would expect him to be. Bojack is nominated for Best Movie of Vine, but, <laughs> but, but loses out in this case to George Clooney's. Um, Bojack and Anna are talking at the bar after the show. Uh, with Bojack having his first doubts in her ability to get him the success that she's promised him, the success that he's gradually starting to expect. He's in a pissy mood, he's in a moany mood because he lost. Uh, and then he takes it out on Diane, who is live tweeting there at the award show, um, obviously doing her job on his behalf, but also tweeting on behalf of um, a returning character from one of the first few seasons, Sextina Aquafina. Uh, Diane is in no mood for any of this. Bojack is needling and needling and needling, as he always does, because everything's always about him forcing Diane to finally explain why she's a bit pissed off with everything. She just exclaims, I'm getting an abortion, at which point that stops Bojack dead in his tracks. Um, again, but not in the way that you would expect. He then goes on to reminisce. He says, oh, that takes me back. Um, and then just starts worrying about all the women he paid uh, to get abortions back in the night is and worrying if they kept, quote, his money without sort of... <laughs> Having any further thoughts about what else they might have kept. Um, this chat is cut off by Princess Carolyn, uh, who reveals that Diane has just accidentally tweeted, 
I'm getting an abortion from Sextine Aquafina's Twitter account to her 40 million followers. Uh, Tom Gumbo Jumbo reports this on the news. This is big. So, yes, another week where the kind of it'd be unfair to call it an A plot and a B plot. We have two very pronounced A plots this week. And this is the point where they spin off in separate directions. Uh, thoughts on Bojack and Diane's night, I guess. Well, let's just start off where this episode started off. Orca! <laughs> Loved that. Thought that was a great little, uh, great little way to open the uh, the episode. Very much so. Interesting. This interesting. Diane and Mister Peanut Butter. You, like from a character perspective, if anybody was going to be in a position to sort of navigate the waters of this, Diane's the one, isn't she? We've mm-hmm. Diane has been our guide and light through all things, uh, and in particular the world of probably the world of feminism. I think we can all agree, which has landed yes. down hot water in previous seasons. Um, so it feels right that she's the one, they sort of, you know, they, this is Bojack Horseman. They're going to tackle some difficult topics. Another difficult one they're about to set uh, upon tackling here. And Diane, probably the perfect character too. Bojack, on the other hand, couldn't be in much of a more different situation that emphasises just how much of a different life men get the lead compared to women. It's always the way, isn't it? It's, it's always, always the, way. the way. It's always the way. The only baby he's worried about is getting his hands on a little award that he may or may not win an extra bunch of other really talented white men <laughs> i guess <laughs> they are they are indeed everywhere including at the uh, the leonard malton awards the Maltese. they're uh, the next step on the oscar path again ryan seacrest is there it's the exact same setup he's at the red carpet he explains that this is award ceremony of things leonard malton likes <laughs> and yet again Bojack still manages to lose. This time having George Clooney won, uh, Clooney's won the award. This one goes to Brett Poot. Uh, it's, just, it's yet another, obviously, show styled styled and profiled. Woo! Exactly as the last one was, uh, which finds Bojack back at the same bar all over again. This time he's there with Todd. Um, Todd is again just there really to cheer him up and try and boost his ego. But Bojack, unfortunately, is feeling bitter. Uh, he notes that Judge is just old and a prankster. Can't understand why people are flocking around him after winning the award the other night. Um, but he plays nice when Judge comes over. Uh, Todd immediately is sort of affable and welcoming to Judge because he knows that his friend Keith sleeps on Judge's couch, much in the same way that he slept on Bojack. To which Judge replies that he wants to tell him to clean up his shit. Uh, but um, they send Todd off on one of his like wacky missions as a child just to get him out of the way so they can talk a little bit more. Bojack wants uh, quite clinical reassurance from Judge that uh, an award is finally coming his way. Um, but Judge surprisingly says otherwise. Uh, he kind of isolates Bojack as being separate from the crew of, as he calls it, the names, the real names of Hollywood. You know, your, your Judge Clooners, your, your Bread Poots, your Mitt Dermans. <laughs> Come on, you can do it. You can You'll do learn, this one. You're learning her Decapricorns. As he puts it, these people are, quote, names. You know, real names. <laughs> Bojack, by implication, is not yet quite amongst the Hollywood elite. Um, as you know, as if he's kind of excluded from the exclusive club, which is a nice callback to last week when he booted Kiefer Sutherland out of the exclusive club. He suddenly found that he's just ever so slightly become slightly higher status than he was one week earlier, and now he's back in the relegation zone of those guys rather than the promotion slots of the level below. Um, he doesn't take it well, but he accepts a handshake, at which point, George, that wacky prankster, hits him with one of them infuriating joy buzzers. And I want to just dwell on that, because this episode in particular 
deals quite well as a side joke with how annoying pranks are. Um, very much in the spirit of New Girls, Winston, who just can't do pranks, but in doing so makes you realise that pranks are kind of annoying. And that goddamn shocker thing that he shakes hands with, surely they've hit upon the most universally annoying, in inverted commas, prank. You are with Bojack every step of the way that Clooners is more of a jerk than a judge after he does that. I think it's either that one or a whoopee cushion. Those are the two choices I think we had. But you wouldn't surprise us if he shocked him and then he sat down on his chair to find a whoopee cushion. That's what I was expecting. I just love this depiction of George Clunas, who may or may not be very similar to a real-life actor, Michael. I couldn't possibly put my finger on it. But, you know, he probably had about 11 tricks up his sleeve, you might say, maybe. An Ocean's Eleven, some might even say. Who knows? <laughs> Indeed. And uh, <laughs> Bojack obviously only knows how to fight fire with fire because he can't fight films with films. He's effectively been told he's not going to win awards. So instead, he plots with Todd to prank George Clooney. Comes up with his scheme in which he's going to pose as a limo driver to lure George in and then hit him with a bat. <laughs> prank! That's... <laughs> which, again... <laughs> Again, plays brilliantly on the idea of pranks of crap because most of them are really just an extension of getting hit with a bat. Not that Bojack realises that. He thinks he's got a master plan here. Uh, so we cut to Bojack later on in the episode in the front of George's limo in the chauffeur's hat with a terrible, like, inexplicable foreign accent and moustache. It's of no sort of great destination or no sort of particular... You can't really place it as to one place or another. It's just Bojack putting on a bad voice, almost like he's not a particularly very good actor unless the robot version of himself is doing the work. But we get the shock twist. Before he can prank, in inverted commas, bat George Clooney to death, uh, Anna gets in the car. She's George's publicist as well. This was quite a, a cute twist that I don't think any of us, not least of all Bojack, saw coming. Um... But Jack is forced to do a load of errands for George. He has to go to the shop. He has to get him toilet paper that's going to be kind to George's arse. But they finally pull up to the awards. Uh, in the process, Bojack runs over Ryan, Seac Ryan Seacrest type in a really tremendous bit of physical comedy where he's just doing... They're setting up the award show in the same... It's the rule of three gag. He's yet again setting up what we believe to be the th third award show. But rather than us cutting into the venue, he just gets mowed down by Bojack, an angry Bojack driving this limo. Oh, I can't... I'm sorry, I'm going to have to interject because I can't overstate how funny that is, man. And I have never noticed it before until this watch-through. It is... It is right, honestly, it's right up there for me with the Todd on the lawn. It was that good. It was that impactful. Yeah, he screams on the way. <laughs> That's it. That's what the funny thing is. I think we'll get to <laughs> we'll get to a Ryan Seacrest type a little bit more in the in the other plot of this episode. But he's just awful. And there's a certain catharsis at this point in the episode to watch That's, that's what it is. On the side from a limo. It's just such an impactful hit with the limousine and the way he goes that <laughs> but yes, they have indeed arrived at the awards, uh, at which point um, George asks if they can go home again because he wants to um, pick up his girlfriend and bring her back to the awards ceremony, which again feels like just a bad prank more than anything else. He's made the driver drive all the way there to drive all the way back, and that's absolutely hilarious. At which point Bojack, rather than losing his shit, 
with a bat, just loses his shit with a pair of them. He pulls off his moustache to reveal himself as Bojack, which are great. Again, really good. Like, Bojack's quite deft use of very, very silly gags in the middle of a serious plot for Jurge and Anna to be remotely shocked by this when the tash comes away. They play this because his face, of course, doesn't change at all. He's not been remotely projecting. But they're indeed shocked. Um, he has a go at the pair of them for pranks being stupid and Anna not being loyal. Um, after discussing the methods and madness of pranks in general, he gets to the meat of this and he fires Anna as his publicist. Um, she laughs off Princess Carolyn and Todd being able to remotely help him compared to the work that she can do, but he sticks to his guns. Anyway, he's got to get on his way because he's got a kid's birthday party to get to because obviously the limo driver prank has extended to him having more work to do. Um, hey, I wish it was a kid's birthday party. I wish... If it wasn't the bachelorette party he's about to go to. Bachelorette party. Sorry, I had that as... Oh, dear. Well, that's going to get much worse before it gets better than, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I suppose better than being Goober from horsing around. Um, anyway, we cut to Bojack. At later. least hey, at least this fictional child's going to get a birthday, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. This one's going badly off the rails. Uh, which, is, which is how it feels when Bojack meets with Todd, who he is employed as his new publicist. Um, this may as well be a meeting between Todd and Mr. Peanut Butter for how well it goes for Bojack. Um, Todd first confuses him with the athlete Bo Jackson, who he's Googled separately before the meeting, then offers him a role as a gorilla spinning a sign at a car wash to quote, get FaceTime. Bojack reveals the obvious logic flaw in this um, and we're left to assume anyway that he sacked Todd because we don't revisit the two of them as a business partnership. Instead, we review Bojack going to make a drink in his kitchen at the end of a long day, at the end of a very long bad day. He no longer knows his place in Hollywood. He no longer knows what's going to happen in terms of having a publicist and having representation on this Oscar tour. Or does he? Because Anna is there in his lounge in the dark, waiting for him, waiting to address him. She tells him to some shock that she's dropped George completely, uh, dropped all her clients, in fact, noting how uh, Bojack is an underdog. That she likes that, that she likes the challenge, that she believes that she didn't just get a, get a diploma in publicist for nothing. <laughs> it, was to, it was to get Bojack this Oscar. Um, he is stubbornly pleased i think it would be safe to say that she's done that he kind of there's a point at which he feels quite entitled before he's shocked out of that when just below camera we are made aware that she has grabbed his genitals uh, she starts shall we say masturbating him that's what we'll say because Jeez, that's, that's the implication of it um, i mean fondling is a great word for this fondling it's a, it's a great word, but let's be honest, it's not a wholly accurate one. Um, she pulls him just back from the brink, to use the want of a better phrase, from having a heart attack, but pulls him back from the brink all the same. Um, she persists in saying how she believes in him, telling him that she liked the rush of him firing her, how nobody has ever spoke to like that before, um, as if like the power dynamic is suddenly shifted between the two, which Bojack, as the entitled man, having what's happening to him at the moment, certainly feels um she says oh do you want this do you want all this he gives this most resigned tragic yes and it's hard to pass if he's talking about the career or the climax of the situation between the two of them at which point she squeezes him making him explain oh too tight um and reminds him quote don't you ever 
try and screw me again. At which point she lets go, says, see you tomorrow, you have my undivided attention. And Bojack is left knowing, not knowing if he even wants that anymore. This is the end of the Bojack plot, but not the end of the episode. So we'll get to that later. But quite the turn of events between these two. And anti-climax, some might even call it, <laughs> Michael, in the end there. Yeah, this was this was such a left field thing, wasn't it? Because um, for all intents and purposes, it felt like Bojack maybe had turned a corner from like a self-pride sort of standpoint because obviously realising that the, he got another look into the game of Hollywood, didn't he? He got another mm. look into the rigged game of Hollywood, decided he didn't like that and made a good call, I would say. Felt like he was making a good call, like yeah. to stand up for his belief and walked away. And then ultimately, it wasn't to be because Anna Sponacopita is a force of nature, as we are beginning to discover slowly but surely. In his house, just how did she get in his house, Michael? Is the first question. She obviously <laughs> can break into people's houses. She got in there in silence, smoking a cigarette in the dark. I mean, this is all, these aren't the traits, Michael, of someone you can trust. These are the traits of someone with. A darkness within them. Anna Sponaco, mm. but good at her job. But as she makes people disappear as well, I think yeah. we think to this point. Um, yeah, she's very dangerous. And the fact that he... How do I put this eloquent, eloquently? Um, the fact that she holds his manhood, mm-hmm. eh, his horse manhood in yeah. her hand, uh, and in quite a literal sort of... Like, she has him literally by the bollocks, I guess we yeah. can eventually say if you want to go there. Um, and she's not afraid to get what she wants. And whether that is... It, this, the terrifying part is at the end of this exchange, as you said, when she walks off and says, like, you have my undivided attention. You're the only person now. It's just me and you. Like, mm. And you've got to get that horrible feeling of dread, don't you, that this might have ended up being worse than it was supposed to be. It's interesting because, as you say about the, the body that disappeared, basically, yeah. Um, this is not so this is not the first time that she's blurred the lines between what she's prepared to do personally to move things forward professionally so he kind of half should have seen something like this coming or seen various of the dark turns and dark paths coming Mm. um but as you say there was a there was a kind of i wouldn't say you were cheering for him because the way he'd gone about it was petty and childish as is the way the only way bojack knows Mm. It was born out of pride, and it was for the first time in a long time he was trying to actually claim some honour back in this fairly dishonourable process. She represents everybody. She theoretically was always bound to win, but he wanted her genuinely to win for her. He's got it, but what a price it appears to have come at. At what cost? And I just, yeah. I love the. I mean, obviously, it, for 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 obvious reasons, this was framed the way it was, so that mm. you can't technically see what's going on. But I love the sort of notion that this was like, I guess to a certain point, everything up until now had been above board, if you like. Mm. And the one the one yeah. sort of crossing of the line is something that's completely below board, quite literally on screen. The way it was done was quite clever, I thought. And just more impactful. And for any of the males, obviously, listening, oh, I didn't half squeeze when I felt like it was being squeezed. I was like, oh, that's on. Un- yeah. Oh, no. Oh. Very... Very well acted. Yes, very Again, well. Like we 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 talk about this show like it's 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 voice acting, but it's acting, and yeah. you just you believe what you're watching, and um, <laughs> it feels like I'm just searching for puns now when I'm not. But I feel like we should get to the meat of this episode, which uh, was indeed the, which was indeed the, the the tie plot. Let's get, <laughs> let's get to the serious stuff because the plot, much like 
Well, Jack's manhood is thickening. Um, Michael, show us how the sausage is made. <laughs> right, how the sausage is made is that uh, Princess Carolyn is panicking to Diane about losing Sextina Aquafina because she's accidentally tweeted that she's getting an abortion. Uh, <laughs> we find them at the uh, the agency waiting for Sextina to arrive. Um, they're waiting alongside uh, Diana and uh, Princess Carolyn are waiting alongside Judah with sorry gift baskets and flowers and everything like that. Um, Princess Carolyn notes that teenage pop stars are probably the least understanding. They're understanding of absolutely nothing by being both teenage and pop stars. At which point, Sextina bursts out of the lift, throws a fur coat on Judah, flattening him. Uh, <laughs> and the gifts fly everywhere. We never see or hear from Judah again in the episode as a result. And she's pretty livid. She explained she was playing live for Gaddafi's cousin and was inside a giant champagne flute <laughs> singing left titty when the tweet dropped. So take that in for a minute. Um, she has basically only turned up, in her words, to, quote, fire someone, and that someone is Diane. Um, Diane offers to fix it. Um but before really they can kind of come up with a, a way to get out of jail for the situation they're in, it turns out that Taylor Swift and Nicki Minaj have both shown their support uh, to Sextina's tweet. And BuzzFeed have done a list on, quote, other celebrities that should have had abortions like Sextina Aquafina. Oh, my God, the content game. Uh, Princess Carolyn and Sextina excitedly jump on this as an opportunity which Diane quietly protests until she realises with a lot of prodding from Princess Carolyn that this whole thing is effectively saving her job. Uh, glasses, as Sixteen refers to it, is uh, subsequently unfired. And uh, they anoint her the face of the pro-choice movement. Uh, this surely can't end well. But before we get into how it doesn't, what did you make of the reintroduction of Sixteen Aquafina into all of our lives? I mean, what an absolute... We've already spoken about Anna Spornacopa being a force of nature. <laughs> I have written down in my notes here, it just says... A description of the scene is Sextina's warpath is what happened. <laughs> she wipes out a good three people on her way to the to the final destination in the office with Diane and uh, Princess Carolyn, and it's brilliant. If, if you didn't already know, because we've had we've had some interactions with Christine. I always do that. Christina Aquafina, I want to call her Sextina Aquafina. We've had some interactions <laughs> with her before, and all of which have been memorable to say the least. Mm. This time, though, she feels like, because she was the young teen pop star, wasn't she, when we first yes. met her? The Sarah Lynn kind of parallel was going mm. on there. At this point, she feels like the big star established, and she's really controlling this room. And honest to God, like, what what a welcome, weird character this is. I do like it when we get a, a strange B&C character coming into this, and Sextina <laughs> is definitely one of those, and she absolutely stole the show. The idea when she's been so, as you say, like she... Just dominate. It's a warpath. It's all these, all these connotations of somebody that's not. Nobody wants to be around her, and yet the scene ends with again the, the face of the pro-choice movement. Um, from there, the visual of her being taken to Planned Parenthood with Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter is just Bojack Horseman at its most ridiculous to the sublime. Um, they're telling a quite incredible story in this episode. Um, it's a story about struggles women have with the issue of abortion that is the plot that runs through this mm. and that's why if the bojack stuff felt a little bit i don't know like flippant or silly it's because this was the series this was the very very serious um diane 
is there with Mr. Peanut Butter and the Doctor. And the Doctor is informing him of various laws, ridiculous, awful, misogynistic laws to make the woman feel awful, pointedly so, to make the woman feel awful for her decision to potentially have this abortion. Um, they note that it's likely that Diane will give birth to puppies because that happens in Bojack World. She's, of course, had sex with Mr. Peanut, but he was a dog. Um, but as a result, by law, she has to listen to the puppy's heartbeat. By law, she has to wait to find out what the potential, what the puppy fetus's favourite colour is, and it's likely going to be blue. And by law, she has to watch baby puppy videos for 24 hours. Each time Mr. Peanut Butter tries to jump in and, like, sort of take one for the team, as it were, and the doctor stops him, says, by law, you can't. Um, Sextina Aquafina is there in the background the whole time, on a phone, not bothered about it at all, but obviously there doing field research, I guess, uh, about what it is to be... Uh, having an abortion this but before we kind of go into this there's a couple of things i took from this the episode in general and it's best served in the diane scenes where she's in planned parenthood and we'll get to more later on it's tackling an incredibly sensitive subject it's mm. nailing it it's nailing it of course it is because it's bojack horseman yeah but but and i think this is the first time i've done this ever on this podcast. oh hang on are they bottling it right at the last by making it about puppies instead of babies because it's allowed narratively I, I like in, in within universe i don't question it you know yeah. animals humans i don't question that bit yeah. are they looking like they're about to wind up with a knockout blow and then pulling back by making it about puppies there are two ways to answer this. One of them is, I think you could be right. I think maybe this was perhaps the compromise and sacrifice they made. Uh, I imagine that conversation was had. I don't believe for a second that they just went, oh, we'll just do puppies because that'll be like a, because it's a dog. I imagine there was a lot of debate because I do think it, it hits heavier and harder if we do have to face it with the realities of it being an actual baby child. However, as you are going to reveal as we further get on along with our narrative, there are other parts of this where I feel like they might deal with it slightly more direct even if they do might sort of, they do might, even if they do tackle that in a, perhaps what you might call more of a comical way um, mm. they maybe try and get the balance that way around, I think that was definitely a creative choice and I think you are right, I think if they the impact of that scene is very very different if they have chosen an actual baby rather than Diane's potential future child to be a puppy Well I think as well, it sort of it creates a bit of a plot hole because, like, I got two kids. Diana and Mr. Peanut Butter could cope with a dog. They're really good. They come on. It's a different decision, isn't it? A dog and a child. So if you if you're stripping this away from Hollywood and bringing it to real life, but it's it not in Hollywood, though, is it? That, but that's the thing. Like that's um, like in the in the Hollywood bubble where we are. Yeah. Them having a dog is isn't. It's not going to be the same, is it? Because they're going to be dog people. I guess, I guess. They're not, yeah, they're not going yeah. to be just dogs, they're going to be dog people. So. I get, yeah, I get what you're saying. That's um, fair enough. Um, but what I was going to say was off the back of that, that's not to labour on that point too much because yeah. as the episode progresses, it very clearly becomes about how this incredibly female-centric situation is constantly ripped out the hands of the females going through it. Yeah. And that's what the episode is. That's what they're hitting upon. And yeah, they hit upon yeah, that yeah. brilliantly, as they always do. I just... I just thought that was like a way to trivialise that one scene a little bit before we get to like even more serious stuff, even more brilliant commentary on that. 
Um, and that starts in earnest, really, with a Ryan Seacrest type back interviewing 16. Obviously, this is before he got mowed down by Bojack. Um, <laughs> and she's about to talk, it seems, very seriously about, quote, destigmatizing the discussion before she reveals her new hit single, Get Dat Fetus, Kill Dat Fetus. Uh, Diane, who is watching from a screen in the studio, is appalled by this. Um, but Sixtina puts it on her and says that she inspired this. Uh, this quote, this is about my choices. And my choice is to be a totally insane badass. <laughs> well, Michael, I think I'm going to have to interject here because wait there, I've got a little, I've got a little button to press here. <laughs> What's the sound of that, Michael? That I is don't... the sound of dolphin around. It oh is just God. interjected into the middle of your presentation because this can't wait. Unfortunately, this cannot wait. As you have revealed, a wonderful song here from Sextina Aquafina. Yeah. Would you like to give me the title of that song again, please, Michael? Just one last time. Get that fetus. Kill that fetus. Mm, mm. In very nuanced take, I think we can all agree. Brap, brap, pew, pew, indeed. But here I am, Michael. I thought I'd take the liberty to interject and give you some of the lyrics. Now, I realise this is... The episode is funny enough. It tackles it well enough in its own way. But I thought we'd deliver this with a bit... We try and be tasteful when we deliver these lyrics. So I will give them to you in a way that is both calming, relaxing, and... I don't know. Not leaning in any way, shape, or form. No rhythm or rhyme. Just read as prose, perhaps. So here we are. <laughs> here we are. <laughs> I'm a baby killer. Baby killing makes me horny. Aliens inside me gonna squash it like Sigourney. <laughs> gonna get that fetus. Kill that fetus. Gonna get that fetus. Kill that fetus. Rap, rap, pew, pew. Rap, rap, pew, pew. Yo, all I wanna do is rap, rap, pew, pew. A bang, bang, a boom, boom. From the womb to the tomb. <laughs> I'm a dolphin doll face. Bitches in my crawl space. Have abortions sometimes, question mark? No, I'm a have abortions always. <laughs> Get that fetus, kill that fetus. Get that fetus, kill that fetus. Brap, brap, pew, pew. Brap, brap. Pew, pew. And sometimes I do have doubts. And it's hard to sleep. Tell it. I think about my child's heartbeat. And oh, it makes me weep. Tell it. I hope and pray to God. My little fetus has a soul. Because I want to f it to feel pain. When I eject it from my hole. Rap, 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 rap. Rap, rap, pew, pew. Rap, rap. Pew, pew. <laughs> so there you go. Those are the lyrics for the song Get That Fetus, Kill That Fetus, coming to all record stores available from <sighs> EOL, Time Warner, PepsiCo, Viacom, Halibut, Skynet, or Twitter, Joe Records. There you go. <laughs> oh, we need to ask RBW about the, about the process when he comes out. It's just, um, have you listened to uh, season three? <laughs> <laughs> Just got, got some thoughts there. We were thinking of commissioning Alan Bennett to read it out on the podcast. 
I always imagine someone like like a Brian Blessed. <laughs> Brian Blessed. Brup, brup, you, you. I'm a baby killer. Baby killing makes me horny. Slug <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, get that fetus. Kill that fetus. <laughs> Sorry, we've t- you know, I realise we've taken a bit of a nose dive there, but as it is, I just felt like it was important to interject at the time when it felt correct. That is the end of Dolphin Around for this week. <laughs> <laughs> Back to you in the studio, Michael Hapley. Doing a bit of a Barton there, are you? Right. So we've got from, from Sextina Aquafina's choice to be a totally insane badass to Tom Gumbo Jumbo back in the studio reporting on the song but questioning the quote of questioning the concept of quotes women having choices has gone too far <laughs> to, to debate this further he throws to a panel of white men in bow ties who talk about abortion who talk about issues for young girls and finally if fetuses can just be farted out <laughs> oh no this I, I'm going to drop in the first powerhouse of this episode we often use powerhouse what a I mean, I was pissing myself laughing at the garbage being spouted yeah. by bowtie-wearing white douchebags. I mean, just an incredible reveal. That sideways pan to three white men in bow ties. Tom Gumbo Jumbo asks for a source about the, about the fetuses being farted out. And he says, I don't know, I think I've read it in the Bible or something. And he says, thank you for that and for backing up your information. <laughs> oh, my God. What a, what a scene. It was too true, wasn't it? It was too real. This it's too oh. real. Uh, Diane, it's still true. <laughs> <laughs> to send a more positive message while she's got a platform. So to this end, she goes on with Tom Gumbo Jumbo uh, to talk about abortion in a more serious tone. But it's another false dawn. She uses that platform as dining advice to reveal that she's actually going to have it broadcast on pay-per-view. She's going to she's gonna make that money. Sitches. Uh, Diane expresses shock, but Princess uh, Carolyn and Sextina seem to think that it can be done like Argo. They'll get John Carpenter direct. Eddie Redmayne's going to play the fetus. <laughs> Princess Carolyn says they can pre-tape it, so Sextina says it can be tasteful. Uh, ultimately, they're just so incredibly on board with this um, that Diane can no longer coexist even in the room with him. She's kind of from the very beginning, we got that really great voice acting that Alison Brie does sometime, uh, where she just lets the vowel hang where she's lets the vowel hang where she's going, well, uh, but she's not protesting outright because as I say, like she's kind of getting that like figurative jab in the ribs from Princess Carolyn to just go with it, just go with it. But as it with everything in Bojack, it's just escalated to the point that she can't any longer. She refused to be a part of it. And then we get to the, the kind of nub of the issue specifically with Princess Carolyn's involvement in this. Um, she says to Diane, really directly, quote, I'm sorry you're so fertile and in a sexually active and loving relationship. And now you don't want a family. I'm sure that's really hard for you. Sextina, for the first and only time in this episode, reads the room and gets the out of there because she knows there's a separate conversation to be had between these two. Um, Diane and Princess Carolyn get serious 
but rather than being able to dwell on the issues that Princess Carolyn has raised, it instead becomes about Diane's ability, her ethical, moral code to still do this job. So Princess Carolyn, again, has got all the words loaded in the chamber. She says, quote, it's all bullshit, Diane, and that's the gig. You're not good enough at this job to be too good for this job. But Diane, again, much like Bojack, kind of letting go on it earlier on the episode, decides that she is, and she leaves, and she walks away. Um, before we get back to the sort of more serious part of the episode, because we will find Diane Mr. Peanut Butter back in Planned Parenthood after that, uh, strong, strong, again, performance from the actors and strong work here, strong dialogue. Great, great stuff. Again, out of nowhere, the, the really hard-hitting stuff hit out of nowhere because they went so big and so broad on the gags that when it did, it landed so well. It did, and I tell you what felt more impactful as well, uh, specifically in this scene, was that all the times we've seen the three women in this particular part working together towards all of this, so obviously Diane, uh, uh, Sixteen Agrafina and Princess Carolyn, all plotting and scheming, and obviously you know the, the moral lines get crossed at that certain point. But it's just so heartbreaking because this is such an important topic for women, obviously at this like in in the world in general, but in this particular point in the show, and they end up like almost fighting each other from the inside out. Like the women mm. who we want to be holding each other up in this episode, like because the men aren't going to do it because as we all know they're rubbish. <laughs> especially in Hollywood, the characters you kind of want and need to be having each other's backs and kind of making it work are now our two favourite female characters in the show are now like they like get loggerheads because of the very moral ambiguities of this that the, the Hollywood tar has kind of brought into it all, hasn't it? And, and and that's the thing, I guess. Diane's back to square one where she is really good at managing the waters and the tars of Hollywood, but then every now and again when she gets sucked into it, she finds that she like our morals completely get corrupted and she doesn't want to deal with it whereas princess carolyn seems more capable of just rolling with the punches and seeing what it is interesting to note though that she has this entire dialogue with diane as she's pouring herself a very stiff drink indeed imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
Yeah, it's well, it's funny, like we've often talked about uh, how just the scale of the impact that this life that she has chosen has on the life that Princess Carolyn still aspires to have. And it's again that like really awkward juxtaposition of the personal and the professional. Yeah. Um, again, Princess Carolyn makes that first point when Sixteen is in the room and makes an entirely different one when she's out the room. And both cut like knives. She's she's had a way at Diane's personal life, and then she's kind of hacked her professional one a bit by suggesting that she's not really good enough to be in the room, or mm. certainly not good enough to be complaining about being in the room. Yeah. Um, so you kind of admire Diane taking a prideful stance at this point. It's the Absolutely. first time in a long time that she's refused to compromise on it, but you can see as well, awkward as it may be, where Princess Carolyn is coming from. Um, even if in no way is she positioned as the as the good guy in this particular scene. Um, yeah, and it gets no better for Diane. She's uh, with Mr. Peanut Butter, back at Planned Parenthood. They're signing this time. You know, we're led to believe this is the point at which they're going to go through the abortion. And uh, Diane is in full rant mode, to be honest. She's just talking uh, at Mr. Peanut Butter while he chips in with supportive, uh, clandestine little gestures. But ultimately, it's just Diane talking at length about the whole scene, the whole situation with Sextina, the whole scene uh, that broke out with uh, Princess Carolyn. And then she has a brainwave. She has her light bulb moment. She says she wants to go on the news uh, and, and talk about, at length, Sextina Aquafina and what she's doing and how it's not helping the situation. Uh, Peanut Butter, who's been blindly supporting her, questions if that's really a good idea in a way that brilliantly mirrors how Diane sort of limply questioned if all of this was a good idea at the start of the episode. Mm. I thought that was a really nice callback. Um, but before Diane can plough forth with this idea, um, which maybe suggests that she hasn't learned from the last time she went on there to be set up by Tom Gumbo Jumbo, yeah. uh, another woman who is sat in Planned Parenthood, uh, over here is the mention of the name Sextine Aquafina. Diane notes that she works with her. And this woman just sort of volunteers, unsolicited, how her music makes her feel strong. Diane questions the lyrics um, of the song specifically uh, in relation obviously the situation that they're both sharing to which point the woman just trivializes the whole thing and says well you know it's a joke right you know literally she doesn't want to shoot her fetus and diane kind of has to no sell the situation but take something away from the woman suggesting that by joking about it it's made the situation less scary it's somehow empowered women when everything we've seen in this episode is the total opposite. Men, whether it be the Doctor, whether it be Tom Gumbo Jumbo, whether it be the three men in bow ties, whomever, are the ones that are constantly stripping the power away from the women. And mm. somehow, this woman has found strength in the words and the voice of Sextina that Diane assumed to be a sort of a worst-case scenario. And that carries forward. And Diane is called in at that point to the door. Uh, and we later find her back at Princess Carolyn's, uh, where... Princess Carolyn, through a bit of dialogue, asks how she's feeling and asks if she's okay post-abortion. So Diana's indeed gone through with it. Um, and it's after they've watched the end of Sextina's televised abortion on pay-per-view and noting that it was actually quite tasteful. Diane says, quote, it was weirdly educational. Mm. Um, she's feeling shitty, as you would imagine, um, mainly because more than anything, she just felt old compared to a lot of women uh, in the Planned Parenthood office. And um, she kind of starts alluding to the fact that she thought she would maybe have a different life by now. But in contrast to what Princess Carolyn says in the office, uh, she now says, you don't need to explain yourself. She understands you don't need to justify anything. And that brings them quite nicely back on an even keel. I think it's quite a nice 
cute way to bring them back together because I don't know, it kind of like suggests that Princess Carolyn was showing a little bit of remorse mm. for the situation. And because Princess Carolyn's come back in on the personal, Diane meets her halfway on the professional. They get a call from Cecina Aquafina, who admits that she is actually now pregnant for real. Rather than going into panic mode, as we saw at the start of the episode, Diane levels up almost as if she realizes that she wants to be good for the job that she's too good for. Her and Princess Carolyn immediately spring to life and um, coming in ways that they're going to actually get through this. They hatch a plot to um, move Sixteen Aquafina onto a farm where celebrities go to disappear, but not before shooting several videos first so nobody will even know until the baby appears as a total surprise. Because, and in the last line of the episode, a quote from Diane, everybody loves babies. <laughs> as opposed to the ending and the beginning of the last two episodes being, <laughs> mother <laughs> uh, Just... Strong stuff in the way that they use this storyline to sort of fray at the edges of Princess Carolyn's Diane's relationship before healing it um, in a situation again where, like, Diane was able to take control. He saw in the fan parrot and another woman was able to take control. But that's what this episode tackles so brilliantly. Um, the laws, specifically from the doctors, yeah. were the point where you realise that was where they were going. Um, it does a good job. It does a really good job with a complicated issue. And here we are, two white guys talking just... about talking about it doing a good job. Yeah. Um, I look forward to speaking with some women to find out if this did a good job. Because, yes, we can only analyse this in the way that we've chosen to as a television show. And we'll like to think we try not to try and get in the minds of women as those dickheads in bow ties did. Yeah, I mean, obviously, that was just before you said it. I was just thinking as we sit here on our podcast of two white men discussing this whole thing. But um, I have to say, I th the, what I really enjoyed about this was um, specifically that interaction Diane has at the um, planned parrothood. I'll give you a, horse, <laughs> I'll give you a horse around for free there. Um, but she that felt important to me because. The, obviously, from our perspective, well, I can't possibly claim to be the, the target audience to know this, but like, I just thought it was fascinating to see that it's a very serious subject and you don't want anybody to feel like someone's uh, not to talking about it seriously. But at the same time, there are still going to be people out there who this, is, this is, will be a great way to help them deal with that. And outside of the show, all the jokes and the way they handle this episode is surely another vehicle for that. That would be something. If there are any uh, women out there who are listening to Podcast Horsemen, uh, I'd love to hear some perhaps your takes on this because yeah. we obviously can only give you what we are have at our disposal, sadly. But I genuinely thought that was great, though, because we had Diane, who was on, who was the right side of it, I think, of still being like, yes, it's a serious topic. We should be taking it seriously. And all of this stuff is a lie. But then ultimately, you have the end product, which is someone who is obviously feeling alone, and someone who felt like this was a big serious thing, and I have Christina, I don't know again, Sextina Aquafina, making a joke out of it and making light of it and making it accessible mm. for maybe calming the nerves of somebody, that made her feel more comfortable about it. That's, I just, I don't know, I thought that was a great way to kind of show that there are more than one way, there's more than one way to look at this, I think, which was brilliant. And specifically, Diane's sort of ironic, not U turn, but the way she ends the episode of Everybody Loves Babies. <laughs> I thought it was. I, I, it's, it was almost too complex for me to figure out. But I thought it was 
really interesting that that was this. I mean, it's for the benefit of the television show, it's like a last little twist ending. It's a, it's a plot yeah. point that you didn't see coming yeah. that is able to tie, close the loops for all the characters. Um, and yet, I thought it was quite brilliant how it reframed, you know, the 16 Aquafina within the show, but the people that you know 16 Aquafina is based on yeah. as feminist role models. Diane, as you pointed out, the voice of reason throughout until they subvert the narrative at the very last minute. And then it makes you go back and question, well, just what reason was that coming from? That was coming from a good place. That was coming from her earnest belief that this can't possibly be good for the cause. And yet what she doesn't know is what she doesn't know, is that somewhere out there it's good for the cause. And it and it kind of made me think about all the pop stars, the female pop stars that have been vilified over the years for whether or not they've been, as the male-controlled media would deem them, over-sexualized or, yeah, yeah. or whatever. You, you, everyone can think of an example for that. It just stopped and made me think about like, well, what don't I know about what I don't know about what these women will have potentially done for a lot of other women that's gone, that's flown mostly under the radar? I just, I love that it just raised that question, which kind of, well, yeah, you know, I guess to a certain extent, it's not the same. And I certainly would never want to, you know, what we do at work is not the same as this scenario, but let me just finish the thought. Like the illusion of the content game, I think is probably one way to put this in terms of like, just because what we know that the 16 Aquafina stuff isn't true in the episode, does that make what the impact could be for society any less important? Like in the end, if the message gets to where it needs to go and it is a positive, has a positive impact for all women across the board in, in Hollywood or indeed in real life. I guess the question's raised, does it matter that none of it's true? Mm. Is the truth is the truth important or is the more important thing here that someone who's got a big reach of 40 million followers, as we're told in this episode, is the more important thing that she uses that platform for good? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so like, it, well, Princess Carolyn saying it, it's all bullshit. That's yeah, the gig. It's all bullshit. But that's the gig. Yeah. And that, that goes across the board. But it happens in real life. There's a bunch of things that happen in real life of a very similar ilk, whether it be like something of a similar nature or whether it be something else to help a cause or whatever. Yeah. A certain celebrity might not like that cause, but if they've got enough of a following and they feel like they could use it for good, that's sometimes the byproduct you get. Even if it is bullshit, it's still yeah. the level of authenticity maybe doesn't matter as long as the end goal achieves something positive. Mm. Is that the question? No, yeah, I I, I, no, I think that's, that's it. I, I, that was what I was trying to. Again, I found it quite complex. I was trying to like wrap my head around. It gave us like something else on top of what we've already discussed to think about. And I just, I thought that was just really brilliantly done. Yeah, you kind of, I guess you're looking at a sort of a, there's a certain naivety about both the pop star that's doing the influencing and the fan that feels influenced by them. If both yeah. of those, if both of those personas are like preserved, if that relationship is preserved in amber and the trust is never broken between the two sides, mm. who is it hurting? Yeah. It, it, that's really the thing. It's like, I guess it's a more it's a more complex question. You could apply to many things in that in that regard. But it's just, I, I, that was as people who work in the content game, the question of does the authenticity matter or is it more yeah. about the end message? That was I thought that was really interesting. And ultimately, I think we learned a lot, Michael. Even though we're not ever going to be able to quite access just how relevant and how important it is, we can kind of do our best from our from our perches. I think. Absolutely. It's why Bojack's better than the thing you like, isn't it? Because if you can't sit down and learn and take notes, and again, we joke about this all the time, and I have to think if we didn't, we'd be pieces of shit. 
like we are two white males addressing the issues that Bojack Horseman raises, yeah. of which a lot of them, as we've learned on this trip through these episodes, is about trying to level the playing field. Mm-hmm. And it, you only get that, I think, as much as anything through knowledge and understanding. Yeah. And this episode and this show, it gives, it gives, and it gives. Yeah, I think this. Reminds me of like the conversations you and I had when we both watched uh, Fleabag, of course, for the first time. Yes, seasons yeah. one and two. And now again, we can only I can only comment on how I would have seen it through my eyes. But I think like it felt like such a different voice to have from a mm. female perspective, and a really important one. But then I know that there are some women who watched Fleabag and thought, yeah, maybe this is that's a very specific type of woman, not necessarily every woman, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but again, we can't comment on that. But that's what this felt like. It felt as mm. as, as important and as like rich of a voice as that did. I think from what Absolutely, we tell yeah. Absolutely. But let's move on, shall we? Let's try and loosen the load slightly. We'll go and do a bit of horsing around. I know you got a yeah, little, you got a little sneak peek of dolphin around, which <laughs> you know may or may not become a frequent segment. Who knows? But let's go back to the very beginning of this show and this episode, indeed, where we go through. And we basically look at all the things you might have missed, all the hidden meanings behind things, Easter eggs, small details, that kind of thing. We return, Michael, to the Golden Snowflake Awards, which is a brilliant name in itself, I think, Mm. given the nature of this show and everything it tries to tackle. (laughs) And there's just some brilliant stuff here. There's a lovely awards graphic as we open that show. And it's just, it's the whole theme is the road to the Oscars. So there's mm. loads of road signs kicking around. There's one for the Cricket's Choice Awards. There's one for Uncle's Spotlight. <laughs> there's, there's one called, that just says, no parking. <laughs> <laughs> and then one, of course, that says Golden Snowflake with a wonderful picture of a golden snowflake on the middle of it. And then inside, as, oh, sorry, just as we're about to go inside, there's a mouse who steps out of a limousine into the spotlight, and everyone starts taking pictures. It's too much. The mouse runs back to the limousine, and the limousine spin wheel spins away dead quick <laughs> because it was just too much to handle for that little mouse. Um, on the interior, though, inside, we get uh, the obviously the award I thought was funny for the best actor in a motion picture, Orvine, which you've already mentioned. <laughs> and then this brilliant little <laughs> cavalcade of actors, as you mentioned, we got Mitt Damon, who was in the film Midnight Hall. He was being... Uh, <laughs> being, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, nominated for, sorry. But we also did see an advert for that on the episode Fish Out of Water, didn't we? It was on the back of a magazine. Ah, yes. Damon Midnight Hall was already advertised. We've got Bread Poot, who's nominated for City of AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Lenene DiCapricano, not even DiCapricano, DiCapricano, <laughs> the, the Haberdasher's Peanut. <laughs> And, of course, we have George Clooney's The Nazi Who Played Yahtzee. Some brilliant sounding titles in there. All films coming to a cinema near you soon. After the awards show, we go back to the Chateau Marmoset Hotel, which we have been at before when Bojack lost out another awards ceremony, if you recall, to Hank Hippopopoulos, um, where all of the bartenders and bar staff are, of course, Marmosets. That's the gag. But outside the Marmoset, you see a woodpecker is chipping away at the sign for it. That will come into play a little bit later on once again. Um, but let me go over to MSNBC, Michael, to go and see our good friend Todd Gumbo Jumbo. Todd Tom Gumbo Jumbo, I should say. And in the middle of wanting to discuss, as you said, uh, have what was it? Have women's choices gone mad or whatever it is? <laughs> women's choice gone too far. This is what he calls his new segment, Tom's Rant. There's <laughs> <laughs> this brilliant graphic comes up of him as an angry whale with all the water blasting out of his blowhole. <laughs> 
But then Randy, who we've seen he has a very interesting relationship with, has inadvertently misspelled it and it says Tom Srant. <laughs> <laughs> Missed the apostrophe and put the S together with the word rant, which he's not happy about at all. Um, we go to Vim offices and uh, outside of Vim offices, you will remember there's the mother with the kid in the pram who Bojack always ends up stealing her pram and using it in various different ways throughout the show. Uh, they are walking towards a play date with the, the other mother that we've seen in the show, the mother bird and the baby bird who we've seen was once in a pram and then grew up to be a bird who flew off. Well, they're back to have a little a little catch-up date, I guess, outside of Vim offices on a picnic bench. But then inside Vim offices, we get Diane, who has brought a sorry basket that she wants to give to Sextina Aquafina. The bag, the basket is literally labelled Sorry with two W's. <laughs> in, in, inside the basket is a present. There's a bottle of wine and a bottle of absinthe. <laughs> and there's also the one-off very special gift of a David Boreana's bobblehead. Very good. She's obviously spent a lot of time putting this together. Totally not last minute at all. <laughs> uh, as, as you said, as I mentioned earlier, on Sextina's warpath into the office, she throws her coat at Judah and absolutely obliterates him. His gift basket goes everywhere. He lands on the floor. And I'm not kidding. The shot of Judah under the coat with his legs sticking out is prime, <laughs> prime comedy. But then on top of that, she throws her second coat on top of the deer, who we mentioned in the previous episode at reception with all of the yellow post-its on their antlers, floors them too. And then finally, on the last little triple threat of Warpath, Stuart, who you remember is uh, Princess Carolyn's PA, he's the really terrible guy. He's carrying a tray of coffees and she just pushes him over and he goes face first <laughs> into the coffees off shot. We don't get to see if he's lost his face like poor Deborah. Um, but we go back to, as you mentioned, Planned Parrothood it is in this episode. Brilliant name gag there, thought to begin with. There are a bunch of protesters outside of Planned Parrothood who are not happy, Michael. One of them is a man in an I Believe t-shirt with a little UFO on it, <laughs> just to give you the gauge of what his sort of beliefs are, with a sign that just says, they kill puppies, is what his sign says. There's also a man who is a vulture, and his sign says, Life begins in the egg. <laughs> With a cracked egg yolk, I believe. Then there's a rat woman who's outside. She's got three kids on her. Uh, one, just she's holding the hand off. Two are attached by those baby supports. And uh, she's holding a sign that says, babies are fun, as she literally has the angriest face out of all three people who are waiting outside. Inside, <laughs> inside of Planned Parenthood, though, we see some posters. The first poster is for... An udder self-examination. It's a picture of a cow holding her left udder. And it basically says, number one, milk yourself as usual. Number two, taste the milk. Number three, examine left udder with right hand. Feel for lumps with your fingers. Number four, repeat other side. And number five, finish drinking milk. <laughs> Got to get that milk in so, your system. Sorry, was it the cow's left udder or a left titty? Left titty. <laughs> Depends whether Gaddafi was there or not. I don't know. <laughs> well, we also then go, speaking of weird males, I guess, we go across to the Leonard Maltin Awards, um, <laughs> which I thought was brilliant. For anybody, of course, who doesn't know, Leonard Maltin is an American film critic and film historian, as well as the author of several mainstream books of cinema focusing on nostalgic celebrity narratives. But not that I got that from Wikipedia at all, I swear. <laughs> but then we go across to the, I love all the faces of Leonard Moulton that were just all over these different awards. Really good touch. We go back to the Chateau Marmazette though, for the second time. And I told you that Woodpecker would pay off. 
and unfortunately picking away at the sign of the Chateau Marmoset has finally resulted in Michael in him going through the sign falls off but unfortunately <laughs> takes the woodpecker with it oh, no. and you hear this almighty cry as he disappears into the night but all the while I should point out was just holding a martini in his hand so quite impressive <laughs> inside though there's a drinks menu inside the Chateau Marmoset and it is presumably I've written Malton themed the drinks on offer are a single Malton scotch which he's given three stars <laughs> <laughs> And there's also one that isn't it a rum and coke? It's called, which he said. But then says no, and he's given it four. <laughs> he's given it four stars. And then just at the bottom, with no star rating whatsoever, just a Jaeger bomb, just throwing them <laughs> on because it's still a party after all, Michael. Um, but I love this line, Bojack talking about George George Clooney's. As I said before, he said he's not a god. He's just an old guy who loves pranks. To which Todd responds. That sure sounds like God, <laughs> which I thought was a cute little reference to the man in the clouds. Judge again, though, again with another little quick bit of comedy here, as very similar to we see uh, Mr. Peanut put as Erica. Judge Clooner shouts into the night, Vivica, now I know why they call you a fox, which for anybody who was paying attention, Vivica A. Fox is an American actress, producer and television host who... To my knowledge, the way I know her from, she played uh, Vanita Green in the Kill Bill film. The first mm, yes. film I did. Um, but I just thought that was a lovely touch. Excess uh, Hollywood next. We get Ryan Seacrest, a Ryan Seacrest type talking to Sextina Aquafina. And I just got to highlight something that popped me stupid. I was laughing my head off at this. Sextina and a Ryan Seacrest type are talking to one another. He asks her a question in this really long-winded way that could never be how she would imagine it to have been. She basically says, that's exactly right. <laughs> But then she calls him Orion. So she, that, <laughs> she refers to him, his first name as, she says, that's exactly right, Orion. <laughs> this is such a brilliant take. His literal name is Orion Seacrest. Type, I've already done the lyrics for Get That Fetus, Kill That Fetus. I won't go back through that again. But what I will say, Michael, is the music video is quite interesting. Uh, we find that the name of the record label, as I've already mentioned, and we've heard in this show before, is the company, perhaps... The all-encompassing uh, global conglomerate that is AOL, Time Warner, PepsiCo, Viacom, Halliburton, Skynet, Toyota, Trader Joe's Records. They have, put, <laughs> they have put the record out. And the video contains a few highlights, including such things as women storming across in high heels, kicking baby pacifiers and baby toys into flames. Into flames of, <laughs> I was going to say flames of fire there, but what else are they going to be flames of? And then... There's another brilliant bit in space, Michael, where there's a, a large fetus floating around space as Sextina Aquafina sits on a laser cannon that is aimed at the fetus. And the laser cannon's wings are, of course, a coat hanger, which oh my word. is rather telling indeed. Thank God it's 2020 and not 1920. <laughs> <laughs> uh, go to MSNBC Studios again. I just thought it was great as well, as you mentioned. The diverse panel of white men in bow ties. <laughs> I mean, brilliant gag this. But we've got the names of these guys which come up across the bottom. First of all, we have Reginald Rangoon III, who is the author of the book, But What About the Boys? <laughs> Bartholomew Skagsworth, who is youth culture expert from the Washington Post, apparently, who then goes on to say that NBD stands for no BD, and no BD refers to BD Wong, who the kids, <laughs> and, the, and the kids think he's a big deal. So if it's no BD, it's not a big deal. This was a stupid gag. Like, it's like Todd figuring out the Bojack of their sabotages rock opera in season one. It was 
stupidest long way around, but still so hilarious, good. nonetheless. And then finally, we've got Foggy Saint Jesusalem. And that <laughs> wasn't me saying it wrong. That's his name, Jesusalem. And it just says in his, he's an actual doctor. <laughs> <laughs> he's an actual doctor. Honest. Anyway, we go back to Bojack's house. Uh, and I just thought this was a cute little thing. We've seen Todd do weird stuff with food in this show before. In this scene when he's conversing with Bojack, he's got a pizza and he's got this random pile of hot dogs. And as Bojack is talking and the scene goes on, he continues to start putting the, the hot dogs inside the pizza then folds the pizza in half. And as he goes to bite at the pizza hot dog combination, all of the hot dogs fall out the back end of the pizza and fall all over the table. Before quickly, we get a brilliant transition. This is as Bojack's discussing his baseball bat-themed prank on George Clunas. Well, of course, the transition is like Batman, where it goes diddle diddle day, and you get the spinning logo that goes back and forward. But of course, the logo is a bat, a baseball bat. But what a neat little tie-in that is—the mm. bat man to the bat horse man, I guess. <laughs> uh, we go into Sixtina. Lim- I was going to call her Sixtina limousine. We go into Sixtina Aquafina's limousine, and I just thought it was great. Mister Peanut Butter sat there supporting Diane through her hard time, holding a balloon that should say "It's a boy," but "It's a boy" has been scribbled out, and it just says "It's aborted." is classic Mr Peanut Butter with signs and also very funny when Mr Peanut Butter gets freaked out as a dog would when they're all trying to mimic the dog the gun noises in the back of the limousine he's like doing the gun noises because it's freaking me out right now he did not at at all it's an air of the uh, chicken impressions from Arrested Development in that guy everybody doing bad guns everybody did a different one I did think Mm. that was quite telling uh, I've written down here from the Image Choice Spirit Awards, of course, the brilliant gag where Ryan Seacrest type gets hit by Bojack's limousine. Please go back and watch that again. It's absolutely side-splittingly hilarious. Never has a man gone off screen so fast. <laughs> uh, we are inside the limousine, though, as Bojack is driving it. And I've just got a brilliant list of things that George has actually asked him to go and pick up in the middle of all this travelling. Ridiculous amount of stuff, yeah. He's got the toilet paper that he asked for called Tushy Bears Ultra Soft Toilet Paper. We also get a bunch of tennis rackets and tennis balls. We get a, a bag of golf clubs. We get some Guten Bourbon. We get some champagne and wine. We get a random digital camera. We get cans of squirt, a box of donuts. What I can only assume is like cheese Doritos. Mm. There's some actual bags of groceries like bananas and carrots you can see sticking <laughs> out. Uh, there's takeout food in cartons. And then... Like, all of this is culminated by Bojack eventually saying he's had enough, kicks them both out and says he's got to go to a bachelorette party before putting on a hat, swapping his top normal driver's hat for a baseball cap that just reads, slut. (laughs) 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 Which is just, I mean, the whole episode encompassed in a hat, I think. It's just madness. That's This is Bojack Horseman for you. It will get you where you least expect it. Back to MSNBC, though, for more gags. This time, a classic gag revisited. The little ticker across the bottom of the news has got a few choice titles on it. We've got Skinny Celebrity Orders French Fries During Interview with GQ. We also get Obama Declares Country Simply Must See Hamilton. Uh, you also, <laughs> there's also another one that says Person Writing News Ticker Headlines Wasting Life, sources say. <laughs> <laughs> There's also another one that says, Polar Ice Caps, so hot right now. Before we finish off with the last one, US celebrates three days without mass shooting. This just in, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We also then go back to Vim offices and on Princess Carolyn's monitor, we see a wonderful headline that says, The Scoop on the Sextina Scoop. 
and that's in Variation Magazine, of course, a not too variety magazine we've seen before. We go back to Bojack's house. I thought it was nice to know that the Escape from LA is still parked in his drive, the mm. big that he owns, obviously, from last season, uh, but not quite as great as Todd's um, wonderful office he's built for himself and his new publicity company that he started in the absence of Bojack leaving um, Anna Spawner Corpora. There's two boxes of ideas that Todd has. One says good ideas. The other says not as good ideas. There's also a sign that's clearly just a white sheet he's written on that says Todd's publicity company underneath Publicit Todd. (laughs) (laughs) Or you see in his newfound office, which is Bojack's office that he's just hijacked, there's a coat rack that he's made out of a broom, some duct tape, a pair of Bojack shoes as the bottom stand. There's a newspaper at the top that's duct taped onto the top of the broom. And on the top are two twigs he's pulled from a tree that he's taped to the paper that he's using as a hat rack with a spare beanie of his that is hanging on one of the branches. <laughs> of course it is. That's Todd's whole life summed up in a whole nutshell, I think. <laughs> and then he also says, as you discussed, he's pushing, as he talks about wearing a gorilla suit and spinning a sign that would be a great thing for Borja to do to get his face out there. He realises it's not a great one. He says, okay, maybe that one's a dude. But hey, do you think Lou Baker knocked out of the park with, <laughs> with Mambo number one? No, he did not, but he kept at it. Who knew, Michael, we'd end up getting Mambo number five? We go back to Planned Parenthood once again. The same people outside who were with the signs have got new signs, and they're still angry, Michael. The guy who was in the I Believe t-shirt has got a new sign that says, Would you have bought a car? <laughs> <laughs> There's also the vulture who was there before now has a sign that says, what if Jesus was aborted? And then the rat woman who had three kids previously is now still there holding her sign that says babies are fun. Only now she has six kids and looks progressively more angry. Also, bit of trivia for you on the inside of Planned Parenthood, Diane was filling out a form. And if you've got really good eyes or just have too much time on your hands, you'll be able to see on the form that Diane's birthday is the 19th of March, 1980. Ah, okay. Nice little uh, tidbit for you. Yeah. Um, also, on top of that, we get a bunch of posters that were inside the Planned Parenthood um, building. One of them says, don't eat your baby. And it's a picture of like a little a baby. I can't remember what the animal is, but it's inside a sandwich with like salad <laughs> on it. And then it says PP, which is obviously abbreviation for Planned Parenthood, is a safe surrender space. Uh, <laughs> another sign that says, are dental dems for me? With a very, very sorry, our dental dams for me. With a very, with a picture of a very confused beaver who's just <laughs> thinking about their choices. There's also another sign that says pre-hatch exams, with four stages on it. That says number one, feather test. What falls faster, a feather or a bowling ball? Number two, the cluck screening. Abnormal results are associated with increased risk of bad clucks. <laughs> it says number three, the ultrasound test for yolk thickness. Screenings use an ultrasound to test examine the yolk for consistency and yellowness. And finally, we get number four, shell protein screening. Abnormal protein levels are associated with an increased risk of premature cracking, Michael. So (laughs) anything you need to know about chicks, and not those kind of chicks, Michael, (laughs) actual baby chicks, then there you go, wrapped up in one. There's also a woman in the waiting room who's reading a, a copy of Pearson magazine. We've got Beyonce on the cover. But on the back, you will notice there's an advert for Bread Poots, City of AIDS. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's all relevant right now. The award winning City of AIDS. The award winning City of AIDS. We're nearly there. We're nearly there. Uh, back to Princess Carolyn's, Princess Carolyn's house, sorry. Um, and you'll notice there's a, 
Another th- the theme, sticking up with the theme of children and abortions and all sorts, there's a duck woman who goes past with a pram of six ducklings, a huge pram stretched out as she's trying to just make it through the evening. God bless her soul. Mm. And then we go back into 16, I was going to call a liquefina this time. It's all gone a bit mad. <laughs> My God, what a podcast this has been. We go to 16 at Aquafina's limousine for one last time. And as, as she's announcing that she's pregnant, the gag here that she's eating pickle flavored ice cream because already she must be having some sort of mm-hmm. cravings. And she's done about seven tests, I think it is, that are all around her jacuzzi <laughs> or hot dog. And the tests, the brand of test, Michael, are DTF, of course. <laughs> Appropriate name for a brand of pregnancy. Um, but also, just as a little aside for the character uh, sort of examinations that they do here, when they're talking about Sixtina and they say, we'll send her to the farm where celebrities go to disappear, like Chad Michael Murray or Thora Birch. So obviously for anybody who knows who these are, Chad Michael Murray, most famous to me for being in One Tree Hill, a show I loved as a teenager, absolutely adored it. And also Thora Birch, who was, of course, a child star, which... Again, felt relevant because given mm. the and obviously someone like Sarah Lynn, she was a child star, of course, in Hocus Pocus, a bunch, a bunch of other things, but also most recently reappeared in my life, certainly in The Walking Dead. There you go. Right. Something new as a random character later on in the show. Anyway, that is it for horsing around and <coughs> dolphin around for this week. <laughs> no more to go there. Those are the worst dolphin impressions I think anybody has ever done in the history of dolphins. But... <laughs> There is still time for one last thing, and then I swear to God, we will shut up about this podcast forever. I'll go first this week, Michael. I'm going to jump okay. you. I'm going to jump you ahead of the queue just to get, because people are probably sick of hearing my voice at this point, so I'm just going to get it over and done with now. But I thought this was a wonderful, what a time to do this and really highlight it. So obviously, we're at the award ceremonies, we've seen a lot of side-by-side shots of uh, one Mr. Mitt Damon, one Mr. George Clunas, one Mr. Lenanene de Capricorn, and <laughs> Mr. Bread Poot. Hmm. Now, you may have noticed this, or you may not have, but obviously the pattern, the theme with all these men, Michael, is they are very privileged white men who are actors, who are, as they even state themselves, they are the big names in Hollywood, which yeah. you feel is kind of representative of the Academy, I feel is quite a big reference there. You know, Academy so white and all that. Yeah. Um, but most notably, as a definite choice they've made for the show, if you are paying close attention and if you were to line all four of them up against one, one another, you will notice they have made a hell of a statement in an episode particularly female-centric. Basically, every single one of those characters, the design of the actual character that is used is exactly the same, just a change of hair or facial hair. The actual model wow. exact same model the nose the lines on the mouth the lips the eyes everything is it's literally a like for like copy they've just changed the hair or changed it around and if that doesn't make a hell of a statement about what is probably a flawed system in the hollywood circles and certainly the real life circles of hollywood and the academy i don't know what is michael that is tremendous what a great spot mine relates to them actually and it's a little bit of a sequel from last week's um I liked the idea about the theme last week of Bojack uh, not being able to be the star. And then sure enough, the episode doesn't really feature him as the star. I thought it happened again and they laid it on thicker. As Bojack was being told that he was kind of like the fifth guy. He's not really one of the four big names. Again, in this episode, 
the four big names absolutely were Diane, Mr. Peanut Butter, Princess Carolyn, and Sextina Aquafina. Yep. So once again, as he was in his own plot, he was in his own episode, very much the fifth name, the fifth guy. I quite enjoyed being able to uh, review a Diane plot, as it were, mm. as if it was a Bojack one in these last couple, because you can feel the focus shifting, and that's not in a bad way at all. That's just in more credit to the show, being able to flesh out its ancillary characters to the point where you could argue that that was very much the A-plot yet again. Look, all I'm saying is, Michael, if you're going to offer me a, a sequel or a spin-off to this BoJack Horseman that is literally just Diane in the same fane as Daria, I will absolutely take it. <laughs> because that is the show I would watch with Diane as the lead. Because let's be honest, you might even be able to sympathise with her a little bit better. <laughs> I think so. Just a little bit. She might give you some hope in the episodes. Who knows? Although then again, she has had a bit of a tough time of it, hasn't she? Mm. Anyway... Those are our one last things for this week. I guess all that's left for us to do is to do our plugs and you to anoint someone else into the illustrious Hollywood Talk of Fame before you do that. As always, please do give us a like, a follow, a share on Twitter, on Instagram. You can find us at Podcast Horseman. We have thoroughly enjoyed communicating with you all so far and long may it continue. And as always, please do send us any of your thoughts on this week's episode, on any previous episodes you've watched, any feedback from the show, anything you might like to see us do on the podcast. Can't promise we'll do it, but we love to hear from you. And we'd love to get some more ideas going because we're always trying to evolve and grow the community and, of course, encourage people to talk themselves horse about a talking horse. You can also follow either of your hosts on Twitter. You can follow me at It's Adam Nicholas. Or if you would like to follow Michael Hamflit, you can find him at Michael Hamflit. And you can subscribe to this podcast through Apple Podcasts. You can follow through Spotify. You can subscribe on Acast. You can find the podcast every Friday or, again, as we said at the start, the one week only Thursday embedded in a tweet on the app Podcast Horseman Twitter feed. And if you retweet that tweet once a week, we'll be doing a random draw, especially just for season three. Uh, inductees into the Hollywood Talk of Fame won't be through the feedback, though please keep the feedback in the five-star reviews coming. It's really helpful. It's like every podcast you've ever listened to. It gets us up the podcast charts, gets more people find the podcast, more people listening, and so on. But yes, for the Hollywood Talk of Fame for season three, uh, we're going to be choosing one random retweet of that podcast link that goes up every week. And from last week's episodes, the randomly selected person is this week, and I'm going to give you a much longer drum roll. It's Michael Kohler. And I just want to give a shout out to Michael Kohler because he's been a supporter of the podcast from the beginning, a supporter of us separately on Twitter. Yeah. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Uh, not Michael. I know how that one goes. Uh, he's, <laughs> at, he's at MJ Kohler, which is M-J-K-O-E-H-L-E-R. Give him a follow because he's got some absolutely class tasting music as well. Michael, a star of the Hollywood Talk of Fame will be coming to you very, very soon. And for everybody still listening, hoping to get theirs, keep retweeting and keep those fingers crossed. Absolutely. Yes, please do. Please keep them coming. I, As much as I may joke about it, I do actually kind of secretly enjoy doing those stars because it means <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting interaction from people, which is what yeah. we started this whole thing for in the first place. Right. Just before we go, the Netflix synopsis for next week's episode, shall we? Just before we finish. We, of course, were season three, episode seven. Michael, we're flying, wow. absolutely flying. But this one is indeed called Stop the Presses. Todd builds a giant papier-mâché Todd head. A customer, <laughs> a customer service rep gives Bojack some sound advice when he tries to cancel his newspaper subscription. Mm. I've just realised what episode this is, and it's a good little episode, this. The, the narrative and the uh, story structure they use in this is particularly one I recall enjoying quite 
a lot. Anyway, I guess, Michael, just before we go, you can call us Ben Affleck because we are now gone, baby, gone. <laughs> I, as always, I have been Adam Nicholas. I've been Michael Hamlet. And this has been Podcast Horseman. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.